When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 17, Pakistan-New Zealand semi-final preview with Ben Jones from Crickviz, co-hosted with CoverDrive, or Asad. Looks like it is recording. So uh, it's my pleasure to have uh, Ben Jones from Crickviz, uh, as well as Asad, or CD as he is known, um, from Pakistan Hipster Cricket World on Twitter, um, who's got his own podcast, I should say. Um, so welcome, Ben. Um, so before we begin, I just want to say, like, what the fuck happened? Like yesterday, <laughs> I don't know where, how else to begin this aside from saying it that way. No, I think that's like completely the right way to frame it. I mean, we all got up. Um, uh, you know, I, I had to get up at stupid o'clock on on Sunday, whatever it was. You know, my Saturday night was <laughs> very curtailed because it was a, a half ten start in Adelaide, and suddenly I have to be there at you know. 7 a.m. and we all we all traipse in it almost feels it almost feels like we're going to like a kind of under the radar county cricket game in april and it's all very you know in the middle of the road you know it's still a world cup we're still excited but yeah. you know it's fine and then we're just watching this this game unfold netherlands make 160 and it's, you know this is fine south africa still have the best t20 batter in in terms of form in the world not named surya kumar and they've got david miller who's you know, absolutely flying. They've got all these guys who are completely capable of chasing this in probably 10 overs. And then yeah, suddenly maybe, maybe they'll take 12 overs and maybe, maybe, maybe they'll take 14. And then suddenly you're thinking, well, they might take the full 20 here and then it might take quite a bit longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the game just falls out of South Africa's grasp. And as South African hopes start to quieten, you start to hear... <laughs> the uh, the unmistakable chant, which I will never forget, of Netherlands Zindabad, which <laughs> <laughs> of every single person in the crowd, uh, Adelaide Oval, just fully getting behind them. Because obviously, you know, 90, I think I'd probably say like 70% of 
of fans in, in, in the ground were Pakistani. And yeah, there, there's still like a lot of Bangladeshi fans as well there. Mm-hmm. We got there early. There weren't many Sappers or, or, or Dutch fans. Uh-huh. Um, but obviously, all of the people who were there for the second game were all over the fact that suddenly this game was moving rapidly from being a nothing encounter to being a World Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> and so you've got, you got this immense sense of like, you know, waking up on November 12th and being told that it's Christmas Day and being told that like, oh, wow, you've suddenly been gifted this remarkable opportunity <laughs> to make it through to a World Cup, uh, a World Cup semi-final. And as it was, obviously, we all know that, you know, Roller Fandemover takes an unbelievable catch off David Miller, South Africa bottle it. And all of a sudden, we go into this game between Pakistan and Bangladesh and it's a, it's a, it's a winner takes it all. And Pakistan, <laughs> as much as they desperately tried to, I don't know if you saw the game, uh, they really, I did, really sadly, yeah. To, they really, really tried not to win. <laughs> they it did, was so uh, infuriating they, after they the, ex- the ecstasy. Line. After the ecstasy of the first game, the weird thing is the ecstasy was the game that didn't involve Pakistan. The game that did involve Pakistan was just painful torture. But it's kind of interesting. I, one thing is <laughs> I did like a fun preview like on YouTube uh, with a South African journalist as well, Daniel Gallen, lovely guy. With oh, Mawaz. I love that, yeah. And I did the thing. This is a pre-Pakistan South Africa game. And that whole thing, I was basically going, we need to deconstruct the choker narrative of South Africa and the mercurial Pakistan narrative. And fucking <laughs> within four days, completely ruined it. I'm pretty sure there's people trolling me in like <laughs> in their group chats about like how oh, I was it's, it's like wrong. it's like deeply it's deeply uncomfortable that we're all sat there being like, you know, there's actually kind of like an unpleasant racist element to the idea of Pakistan being on yeah, yeah, mercurial yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, we probably need to like move away from this. And then it's like, oh somehow they managed to like pull it out of the fire again it was uh yeah it, it was pretty mad uh Asad, go ahead you know just about that whole choker attack and i remember when i came on to your show before the india pakistan match i was talking about how i'm fearing i'm fearing south africa more than i'm fearing india i think on paper same, we're gonna same. beat india exactly and we're gonna get absolutely smashed by south africa same yeah. and just the reverse happens and uh once the Netherlands match finished up, I get a text from my friend and he's like, we need to link up. We need to watch this Bangladesh game together. I'm like, okay, sure. And it's like 1am. I'm like, this is not a good idea, but let's do it. And it's like seven to eight of us at my friend's place. And box, and when the innings is over, we're like, you know what? 128, this is the perfect Baba Rizwan score. Like, this exactly. is what they, this is what they're made for. And six overs and we're like, okay, maybe one of these guys needs to get out because this is getting a bit scary now. Like, this is not this is not comfortable at all. I think it was probably it was the first rem- time. It was remarkable. Like I, I genuinely thought it was more likely that Pakistan would win by ten wickets than that they would lose. Like it, it, because this is so obviously within that realm of like Baba and Rizwan go, you know, forty not out of the power play. They're like eighty not out of the like twelve overs, and then they just kick on, do it, and it's all so obviously in their range. But for some reason, I mean, not for some reason, I mean, genuinely, there's, there's obviously analytical points to be made in the like, It was a difficult pitch. You know, the ball was stopping. The ball was stopping in the Netherlands uh, South Africa game. And there was, you know, another 40 overs on it. So it was, it was never going to be as straightforward as 120 to win makes it out. But equally, you're still looking at it's Baba and Rizwan. These are guys who are test players who've got proper, proper techniques for Red Bull cricket. And have used that to be part of their white ball success. Have used it to be part of their their template, to be part of Pakistan's template of we are relentless in our pursuit of the holy grail of one six five. We will always get one six five, and it doesn't matter if we're chasing two hundred and ten. 
120. We are going to get that market. And suddenly, what was remarkable when you kind of saw it unfolding was that I didn't understand why they weren't able to kick on. Baba's timing is so off. Baba's timing has been consistently off for the whole tournament. He's not able to, for some reason, in these conditions, make the most of his very wide range of strokes and you know his ability against a wide range of bowlers. And so for a while, there was genuine jeopardy. There was I was talking, you know, I was talking to the commentators in the in the uh, in the broadcast box, and we were. You know, there was a range of opinions, probably you know, affected by uh, personal inclination to what they wanted to happen. <laughs> but there, but there was a sense that uh, across the board that like this game was never going to be easy for Pakistan. Oh, sorry, this chase was never going to be easy. As soon as Bangladesh had got something on the board, and we'd seen how the pitch was starting to play, things were not ever going to really follow as they needed to. And I think I, I, I do genuinely think at one stage. I don't think at any point Bangladesh's win viz went above 50%. But I think that at one point it really pushed to halfway and it became a coin toss, which is pretty ridiculous when you're talking about a chase of 120, when one side is, without wishing to be disrespectful to Bangladesh, good, and one of them isn't. And it suddenly, it, it felt, I, I felt like, as someone who probably on balance wanted Pakistan to go through, because I think they're a better T20 side, I don't think that's a controversial opinion. And in general, I want the better side to progress because I want to see the best against the best. And I think the Bangladesh, whilst they played good cricket in this tournament at various times, they pushed India deep. I think that they were slightly unlucky with when the rain arrived in some respects, different conversation. But the point that I, I wanted Pakistan to progress, as a result, I got a little taste of what it is to be a Pakistan fan. And holy moly, it's, uh, I'm so it's, sorry. Not, it's, it's no good, is it? It's no fun. That brings me on to like, I was going to get to the sort of batting issues before we get to the the fun bits, which is the bowling, because that, that's what we enjoy talking about. And you guys talked about in the space. Something that I think you all mentioned in the space, and you've just mentioned here is Babur and also Rizwan struggling. And the thing that I don't get is, so there's been a lot of narrative before the World Cup began that Pakistani batting would struggle with the bouncy pitches. So, you know, I think that's part of the thing. But I don't know if that was necessarily the thing we were worried about with Rizwan and Babur in terms of the way they're struggling. I don't think that this is what we expected uh, from your from your perspective in terms of the stats and the pitches, but also what you're hearing from other people who are talking about the techniques. Is it a technical issue? Is it just a form issue? Is it a, a conditions issue? What is going on? It's it's kind of confusing to me, at least. I, I can't speak to, to it to any great degree because I, I do think they're like, Te- technique is a little bit beyond me because it's you know these these guys have proved in a number of conditions and a, a wide range of conditions that they can be very consistent and they can provide a number of runs which or a level of runs that is unmatched around the world i mean i i mentioned earlier the idea that i think from the start of this year to the start of the world cup more uh, the, the percentage of pakistan's runs that were scored by babaram as one was 50 percent, the most of any team in the world for like that top two so they were hugely reliant on that opening partnership. Now, that's partly because those two players are so good in subcontinental conditions. You know, they don't when they don't have the bounce, they are essentially essentially impregnable. You can't get them out through you know strategy alone. You've just got to be really good. You've got to burst through them with pace or nail them with some swing or just be really really strong in an individual area. You can't just you know lob up a bit of slow left arm and they'll find their way around it like you know, certain certain players around the world. What we've seen in Australia, I think, is both the expected issues of 
bounce causing problems, which I think is fair mm-hmm. enough. Brisbane's very good square of the wicket, sure. Yeah, but it's different to be good square of the wicket in Karachi than it is in Perth. I think what we've seen is that expected problem added to the unexpected problem of the unbelievable amount of, of lateral movement that we've seen in the power play this, this World Cup. It's the most World Cup or the most power play movement we've seen for the seamers, if you combine swing and seam since the 2010 World Cup when England won in the Caribbean. Um, uh, which, which, which I think was, I think was uh, a kind of outlier at the time and still kind of stands out as being a pretty remarkable tournament in that sense. So basically you're looking at a World Cup in Australia, which is suddenly, since the new batch of Cookboroughs has come in, we're seeing huge swing, huge scene. Babar and Nizwan can counter that if that's all there is. They can counter the bounce if that's all there is. But when you add the two together, Suddenly, it's both conditions in terms of the balls up around your neck the whole time and also this lateral movement to deal with. And I think we saw that most pertinently, I think, with Rizwan's dismissal against Arshdeep in the, the India game, where this is a guy who's been kind of like trying to work out how to negotiate this huge swing from Booby and Arshdeep. And that's far, he, he kind of finds a way to get through it. But then suddenly Arshdeep, who's not express pace, this is a guy who's probably no. like late 130s. He's, he's mm-hmm. quick when he wants, when he kind of, effort, his effort ball sharp. But he manages to get one in. And obviously Rizwan, you know, miscues the hook. And I think that kind of sums it up. This is a guy who I don't think has miscued a hook in about two and a half years. But because of the, the kind of the way that he's having to set up to negotiate the lateral movement, his current strengths are negated and his current weaknesses are, are exploited even further. It's a, I, I, I think it's fair enough that this is a World Cup where no opening partnership has, de- has been brilliant. This True. isn't a World Cup yeah. where top order runs have not been a consistent way to win games. Warner's and been terrible. Sorry, exactly. Well, David Warner's gone from averaging 48 to averaging 11, it, you know, from World Cup to World Cup. This, this isn't necessarily, and I'm not trying to be um, kind of sycophantic, this mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a Babar and Nesbine problem. This is a, a problem sure. for top orders across the tournament. So I think it's very reasonable to say, you know, it, it was maybe poor in some respects of Pakistan to place so much emphasis on their top order coming into this tournament and maybe why they should have placed a little bit more effort into trying to solve their middle order. As it is, their middle orders somehow, out of nowhere, managed to become one of the best in the tournament. <laughs> so Which I love. Maybe, maybe we're, still talking, we're, we're still talking about Pakistan here. So we really, we really shouldn't apply too much logic. It's still Pakistan. So. And uh, sort of bouncing off that, obviously, when we look at Babar and Rizwan, um, there's a discussion to be had at Pakistan's preparation Conditions-wise, was not ideal because the pitches in the England series, the pitches in the the New Zealand tri series, was a complete curveball. Like those surfaces, it was like playing in Asia but outside Asia. So we they didn't have much exposure, and then they sat out. Babar and Rizwan, who've not sat out a single game in the last two years, decide to sit out on the first warm-up game where they could kind of get accustomed to those uh, conditions. But moving aside from that, you talked about the middle order and. Um, I've always been of the view that the middle order really wasn't the problem. It was more so how Pakistan went about composing that middle order. The resources have always been there. Nawaz, Shadab has shown it at a franchise level forever. Heather's going through bad form, but he has like the raw tools per se. Iftikhar was also kind of misplaced in my opinion. And obviously you can speak more to the numbers. But do you think that the fact that um, the middle order has really done a lot of the heavy lifting so far and does that does that sort of send a message over to Babar and Rizwan that 
you know, you can play with a bit more impetus in that power play. You don't need to go for that strategy of consolidating for 10 to 12 overs. So what's your thought on that? I, I think it's a fantastic point. I, I think it's a really, really relevant way of framing the conversation that the discussion around do Pakistan need to back with more intent at the top has always been framed as, well, look at what the other guys are doing. It's always been, we're actually kind of building the house while the others are trying to set it on fire. And we've seen in this World Cup that that's not the case, that actually now they have started promoting Shadab into the middle, which they weren't before. But we've, as, as you say, I think you're bang on. That was always going to be one of the answers. I think, that, I think there are other players who could have been in this squad who aren't, um, you know, Azam Khan being the obvious example, not necessarily in Australia, but you yeah. know, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I think there's always been a question that Pakistan's middle order has always been put in very intense situations. It's, it's rarely been asked to just play with freedom. And it's, it's rarely been asked to just perform a normal middle order function. It's often been coming in after a 12-over opening partnership. And I think what we've seen in this World Cup is a demonstration that if you do put them in more uh, a more normal situation of maybe having to come in a bit earlier, you know, Mohamed Harris or Sharma Soud has come in and taken a little bit of the early impetus away and just kind of laid a bit of a platform. And then suddenly the guys who are batting four to seven are coming in around, you know, seven to 12 overs. They have the the skill and the range against pace and spin increasingly. If Takara mm-hmm. Ahmed, I think particularly is is the, a guy who I th- I, th- I I personally was not a huge fan of um, uh, our friend and colleague Maza um, has always been a bigger fan he has, uh, yeah. than me. And, and yeah, but, but yeah, Matt, turns out Maz is always right. It is always true. Um, but he, he's always said, you know, if Takar's got game here. Yeah. Um, and he has significantly improved against spin to the point that it's not necessarily that he's scoring runs against spin, but he's not getting out to it in the way that he used to. I think his average has gone from like, you know, mid 20s or low 20s. Exactly. Kind of up to like silly kind of 60 levels. And suddenly you can't get him out with spin and thus he can carry on taking on the seamers. So th- th- there's an opportunity there for like individual growth. But I think uh, Assad's right to bring up the idea that what, w- what we're talking about here is asking more of players mm-hmm. and then delivering. Does that conversation then apply backwards in terms of the middle order going, right, so you've asked us to save you in a couple of games and we have done that. We exactly. are in the World Cup semi-final because of our performance. Can you now step up, Oakers, Rizwan, Baba? Can you now play with more intent? Can you now play with a little bit more aggression? We don't want you to negate what you're already good at. Ultimately, those players are elite at what they do. They are the best in the world, mm-hmm. as I don't mean pair, at getting to, you know, 70 off eight or whatever. Like, they are very, very good. At being kind of conservative, cautious, low heartbeat, let's make 160 and defend it. And mm-hmm. that is important because what Pakistan are brilliant at as a side is their bowling. And I know we're going to come on to that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You don't want to get into a situation where the batting goes too far the other way and all of a sudden the bowlers are always fighting back. I think part of the reason why Pakistan's bowling is so good is because they're never defending 130. Mm-hmm. They're always defend, you know, they're always fighting with decent runs on the board enough on the board i think you know the technical scientific term is a score like they, they are always working with a score and i think that's really important low ceiling high floor that. low ceiling exactly high floor. the classic yeah. low ceiling high floor you know they're, they're never out of the game before the bowlers come into it they're bowling second but i think that asad is completely right to frame it in that way if it, if the openers have always come back with the uh, the idea that well we can't attack 
because you can't bail us out. You can't save us. So we have to do it. The questions change now. It, it is now in these conditions mm-hmm. a case of opening batsman. Can you cope with the, 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 the swing, the seam, the banks early on? Can you also match that with a little bit more intent? Because we we back ourselves. Shout out if the car, no ours. We back ourselves to, to find a way through to, to a pass score. And if you look at intent and um it's it's kind of a case for Pakistan uh and Hassan Chima had a great article on this. Like you look at Pakistan 2007, Shock, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh 2007, 2009, what got them to the final and then the next the next go winning the whole thing was, you know, uh, intent from the top, spin hitters in the middle. These were ideas that and I was uh I was eight years old back then in 2007. Then yeah, you keep doing this to me, brother. Screw you. So I did not yeah, know. It's, what... it's fine. I was I was only 12, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull that one in as well. So because yeah, I did not know what matchups were. I don't think anyone in the sport knew what matchups were. We didn't call them matchups. We didn't Freddy, call Freddy them. Freddie hadn't invented them by then, so it's fine. It, <laughs> basically, and Pakistan was doing this in 2009. But we come f- fast forward to 2022 and there's such a resistance, even though we see it in the PSL, Islamabad United, Multan Sultans, they're doing it. But Pakistan still has such a resistance, yet you go to the South African game and Pakistan's doing these things, but like, it's not, there's no like, there's no method to this madness. That's like, you're kind of stumbling upon the right solutions here. Mohamed Harris comes in the power play, hits 28 off 11, 200 plus strike rate, impetus in the power play check. Shadab Khan comes in at around the 12th over mark. Perfect entry point for him. Check. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you, you're doing these things not deliberately. Now imagine what you can achieve as a T20 side if you do all of this with that intention. A hundred percent. I, th- I, th- I think it, it, it's kind of the advantage and disadvantage of having a really skewed player base that Pakistan have got this unbelievable bowling unit. And they've got a bowling unit, which let's be honest, is probably still three or four injuries away from being not a brilliant bowling unit. They've got such amazing depth, particularly in the pace department. So they're never going to be in a situation where they're like, oh, it's not like England where it's like, oh, Archer gets injured and suddenly it's like, well, yeah, we're just even more of a batting side now. They've got that depth. They're always going to have it just because the pace factory that is Pakistan. But it also means that you're not necessarily as accommodating with players with different kinds of skills. Those players who, like Mohamed Harris, is the perfect example of a guy who uh, I tweeted about it last week or this, this week, I don't know, but like, but it was um, his, his PSL for Peshawar was like uh, exceptional in terms of its attacking intent. Like I think he had the highest attack rating, just like a quick busy measure of basically yeah. just aggre- aggression with the bat um, of any top order batter in any major league ever. So that's like, that, that's you're including every player who's played in the IPL, every player who's played in the PSL, the blast, whatever. Like he was, exceptionally aggressive and so having that kind of player is it's almost like having like a, like a cheat code if, if you want to go in and be aggressive with the power play you can pick that guy as it is because Pakistan have got this aggressive bowling unit or this, this strong bowling unit the the kind of lure of picking someone like that is lower because you're like, well, I, I, I don't want to be too high risk because we want to make sure we get mm-hmm. we want to make sure we, we do kick on and, and make sure we give, you know, Shaheen, Nassim, Harris, these these guys, the opportunity to have a score to defend. But I think what we've seen is that Pakistan can afford to be a little bit more aggressive. 
they can be afford to be a little bit more aggressive with individuals they can afford to be a little bit in a little bit more aggressive with individuals making calls of uh, you know i'm going to play a few more shots they with selection it all comes into the same thing they, they've still got a little bit more room to stretch their legs and try and raise that ceiling without necessarily lowering their floor and i think that's what we've really seen with 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 mohammed harris in particularly in the south africa game was that this was a guy this was a game where you're talking about you know, so, you know, Pakistan were on the floor. They were done. They were cooked. But because of the way that he batted, it meant that there was pressure on the South African attack. And it's a classic, you know, classic bit of, you know, the benefits of being aggressive. He mm-hmm. came out, he played strokes, he put the pressure back on the opposition. And suddenly South Africa have to turn to their stronger bowlers and they leave themselves a little bit open in the back end of the innings. So Shadab can come through and Iftigar can come through. And suddenly, South Africa, uh, Pakistan get a score, and they mm. can defend it. I think. I think it's it's all part of the same kind of narrative of Pakistan can afford to just let themselves off the leash a little bit. Whether that whether they do in a World Cup semi final, I'm not really sure. But I think what we've seen so far is that they, uh, you know, bringing a guy like Harris, who's just just a, a nice level of absolute chaos. Um, <laughs> I, I think is I think is a really valuable thing for them. Fakar's obviously a fantastic player as well but Harris has the benefit of youth and the benefit of you know just being thrown in the deep end and the benefit of not having seniors having so much time in his ears going like chill out you know play through you know because like once that happens with Pakistan one thing I was going to get at with Harris was because I was going to ask you about Harris and the tweet that you mentioned actually that stat um, was was really great especially and it's even a bigger outlier when it comes to Pakistani batters right so like if it's that extreme for global cricket in general it must be an insane outlier for Pakistani batters the thing I was going to ask you you, I agree with you we're not going to make changes at the top um, but you know I think most people think that at least one of the two of the openers should come down like myself I think Asad would agree Um, the question I have is this is hypothetical because it's not going to happen if it was up to you or what your view would be about which of the two should come down so would it be I feel like Babur is in worse form but I feel like Babur is probably of the two. You, my view would be that Babur should be still in the in the power play. Rizwan can still hit bigger and maybe come slightly dower, uh, lower down the order. In my view, um, I'm curious what your take is. Like, if you were to pick one of the two to come down the order uh, in in place of Haris, which one would it be? It's an interesting question. I think I'm going to give you an answer that you don't want, which is I don't <laughs> think you should. I don't think you should change the opening pair even okay. hypothetically i don't think that is the solution right now it's maybe a solution for the next world cup but given that the semi-final is in 48 hours time i don't think you fix this pakistani batting lineup by changing that opening pair and it's a very very dry point but the idea of the reversion to the mean the idea that these are guys that have been exceptional for a period of a good period of time and yes conditions come into it yes the nature of this World Cup being more lateral movement early on, being more bounce from the uh, from the Australian pitches does come into it. But I think that you are disrupting a strength that has been proved over a long period of time. If, however, we were talking hypothetically and we were saying yeah. the player was going to drop out, I would probably say that the the more the more interesting option is to move Baba down. I think Rizwan actually Despite he seems more dynamic, but I think that's just because he runs a little bit more horizontally. I think he okay. looks a little bit more intense. I think everyone just kind of thinks that he's like a bit more, a bit more uh, dynamic. But it's it's kind of just more a like hustle bustle kind of thing. It's like being a Roy <laughs> Keane kind of box to box midfielder. If you just we're both like, Man United like, fans, by the way. So yeah, this is great. 
Yeah, okay, well, I'm not, so sorry I mentioned it. Um, but, it <laughs> but, it's, but it's that thing of, like, if you drop in that, if, if you kind of, like, approach these with that kind of, like, intent, that visible intensity, I think sometimes you maybe get credited with a little bit more aggression than you, than you maybe deserve. I think Rizwan is a guy that hits fours, not sixes. You don't want to move him away from the power play. You want to give him the opportunity. Whereas I think Baba, when he does get set, does have a little bit more range, not necessarily in terms of clearing the ropes, but in terms of where he can he can ping the ball around. I think he's okay. got a bit more range straight. So I think if you were going to move one to three, it would be Baba and Rizwan. Um, Rizwan's record at three, I think, is particularly awful. Um, but I think it's also a case of, you know, everything that he did before the start of last year was pretty rough. So yeah. you don't want to you don't want to judge him by that record. Um, but yeah, like I say, I I, I like Harris I like Harris at three as a kind of uh, you know, the two the, the two security guards go in and uh, just kind of like deal with the early movement, hopefully, when they're at their best. And then Harris comes in, you know, charging, letting off flares, etc. And it's all just a bit more fun. I, I, I don't think that Pakistan want to move far, too far away from the plan. The plan is get 160 defended. Let's not, let's not get too caught up with the idea that they've had a couple of bad games and Harris has had a couple of good games. The, the template is still very much still still good still strong well that's looking good to hear because oh yeah go ahead, go ahead. oh sorry looking back to last year's semi-final though i would like the extra 10 runs <laughs> still 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 <laughs> reaving off that okay well, let it go, as, as, let it go. As, as long as halfway through the uh halfway through the chase the uh the ball doesn't get dunked in a bottle of fairy liquid you're probably going to be okay <laughs> so is that, i think you're probably going to be all right in terms of uh the conditions being a little bit more amenable so and, Matt, and, Matt, and also Matt Wade's not playing, so he's going to be fine. <laughs> um, and Matt Wade's out of the tournament too, so that's also great. Um, so, uh, well, sorry. Just, and the David, David, Warner, David Warner's back tournament is also something I thoroughly enjoyed, considering what he did to us not only last year, but in 2019 and before that. He's, yeah. That's got to be the biggest uh, shock of anyone, right? In, the, as in terms of a player having a bad tournament, I'd say that that feels to I me think, like I the think it's shock. gone under the radar because Australia, as a, as a as a country, Australia hasn't really, I don't think, bought into the World Cup in quite the same way. Because, um, sorry, it's gone. <coughs> I'm really fighting off a cold because guess what? It's been raining in Australia. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I, I think. Australia hasn't necessarily bought into the World Cup in quite the same way because it's not it's it's kind of footy season over here. It's not really the it's not really cricket season. Yeah, I know the Shield started, but yada yada yada. I think basically the kind of critique that you get on like that genuinely, Warner could have scored no runs of sixty balls and he'd have got less criticism than Baba in this World Cup <laughs> because because it's just the nature of Australians don't like T Twenty cricket that much. They don't really identify with this tournament at the moment but the you, people who are turning up to the grounds are the South Asian fans and they're the ones that are making the atmosphere they're the ones that are making this tournament great and it has been a great tournament but I think that specifically on Warner what's been noticeable is that last year he was yeah average 48 struck at 147 and was consistently kind of making that side work and making that side function in terms of being able to deal with spin in spin conditions whereas this year he's not and as a result, they've just been kind of consistently targeted by by players or by 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 captains who can identify these weaknesses of like who you know you look at that middle order and it's all right handers it's all right handers apart from Glenn Maxwell who struggle against spin mm-hmm. and if Mac, if Warner gets out early you can kind of piece together quite a coherent attack against them um, it doesn't mean that you're going to win you still have to deliver in quality and 
matchups on everything. But it, it, when Warner's not there, it, it's a hell of a lot easier to play Australia. And mm-hmm. his drop off, averaging what eleven this tournament or something something ridiculous, is 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 really really remarkable because he is a he has been. I mean, you know, his campaign to Delhi in the IPL was you know unbelievably good, and he I think he is still an exceptional T Twenty batter. Um, and his yeah his underperformance has probably gone under the radar because of all the discussions of is he allowed to captain. And is he allowed to get over the sandpaper gate uh, debacle? As it is, um, his place in the side is probably closer to being more relevant than you know. Should he be allowed to you know take the armband? Given that four years ago he let someone rub the wrong side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic Australian sort of like analysis of these things in general, like the, the yeah. sort of the things that matter. <laughs> it's all very yeah. It's all very moralistic. But yeah, no, I, I, I've I've been disappointed because I, I love watching Warner bat, and I think that he yeah. he brings. He brings a little bit of that kind of uh, the like star power, you know. He, he that, that that kind of like everyone loves to hate him, everyone hates to love him kind of thing. Um, and it's been it's been a frustration that he's not delivered. Um, and, and obviously in any World Cup, we want the hosts to do well, mm-hmm. um, even, and I, even if it is Australia. Someone. Yeah, well, but I say that as someone who I don't really support England yeah. particularly. You know, I'm from <laughs> I'm from the UK, but like I support the concept of good T20 cricket far more than any country. So oh, wow. I would rather I would rather <laughs> uh, David Warner played uh, played well and and Australia were good than uh, played badly and Australia were bad. So. Yeah, that, that is that sounds absolutely pathetic, but it is completely true. No, no, <laughs> it's just making me feel ashamed of my sort of sort of uh, bi- like partisanship. Um, Asad, you wanted to say something? Yeah, no, I I just think it's so ironic. Like, if if you told me two years ago that Pakistan was going to lose a World Cup semi-final to Australia in the UAE, and Australia were going to win that World Cup in the UAE, but then get knocked out <laughs> in their home yard, and Pakistan's going to win, I mean. Potentially, potentially, I'm going to keep my expectations tempered. But <laughs> you've given Pakistan's away. Pakistan's going to win one. I'm sorry, but you just gave it away. Pakistan's going to win Attempt one in failed. Australia. I think you're out of your mind. Like no one in their right mind thinks this happens in any timeline. <laughs> I think I think that's completely fair. That there is just like an odd, there is an odd situation where Australia went into the World Cup last year being criticised for a lot of their selections, for a lot of their choices, 100%. and then. You know, I, I don't mean to emphasise the narrative of win the toss, win the game, because it's not true. There was still a lot of cricket to be played, but they won all the tosses and they won the tournament. And mm-hmm. it made a big difference for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Their batting lineup is particularly benefited by batting second in Asian conditions when the geo affects the ability of the opposition, opposition spinners to, to be as effective. And batting a bowling first in, in the UAE conditions on those pitches that were a bit up and down was a big benefit to Australian seamers to the you know these tall high release seamers Stark Hazelwood Cummins. Um it made a really big difference. So it kind of emphasized all of their strengths and diminished all of their weaknesses. This year, for some reason, in home conditions, we've seen none of that. We've seen none of the none of the benefits of it. Even down to the fact that like they didn't seem to take into account the fact that, you know, it's going to rain. Like they, they, they know Lenina conditions in it's a Lenina summer. It's been a couple of Lenina summers recently. They know that that means that Melbourne, a traditionally rainy city, might rain. So maybe we shouldn't pile everything onto needing to beat England in that game. So there's all kinds of, you know, luck and circumstance and fortune and all this kind of stuff. And I know that a lot of Pakistani coverage is about the idea of, you know, there's something behind you. There's just something there that's just coming, coming from nowhere. 
But whatever it is, Australia have got the exact opposite in this tournament, and uh, they, they've uh, yeah they've re- they've really got no luck, and it's uh, it's seen them exit at the earliest possible stage. Um, one quick thing before we get to the bowling, which is what I think most Pakistani fans are super excited about with our bowling. Um, about the toss, so there, there was a conversation I was listening to on Pakistani cricket spaces, like fan spaces, and there was a discussion about would you, if you were Pakistan and you won the toss, would you bat first or bowl first? And I know it's not the same level of skewed sort of results as it is in the UAE, which is like particularly stark. Um, usually we would have said Pakistan should chase because that seems to be our strength. But in this tournament, um, it's not been the case. And now that we, in my view, now that we've gone with the extra bowler and the number of tools that uh, Barbara has under pressure, you put decent number of runs on the board and that bowling you know, it's, it's going to be really hard to chase down anything against that bowling. So I'm of the view now that we should definitely bat first. Um, what's, what's yours? I think there's kind of two elements to it. One is you really do need to be sure that it's not going to rain because I do think Ooh, yeah. that you know, the opportunity to be batting as the DLS equation comes into, into force it, it is valuable as much as England managed to contrive to not use that advantage against Ireland. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I do think it is it is an advantage. So if you do think there's rain around, chasing does become a more viable option. But I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that if you can bat first, and as I say, as I always say with Pakistan, bat first, get 165. I'm never betting against Pakistan because Hell they yeah. have they have that base level of quality from ball one to ball 120. It, and particularly with Shaheen, coming into things I think that when he started the tournament obviously against India he was so lackluster he looked so poor and so Mm. way off where he's supposed to be I think we all felt like okay maybe this affects things but against Bangladesh it wasn't that he was necessarily getting worse players out and thus got you know the benefit of uh, of, you know boosting his figures bit of stat padding Mm -hmm. he was swinging the ball he was bowling fuller, he was bowling aggressively, he was mm-hmm. bowling quicker. And I think it felt a little bit more like, okay, that guy that I'm watching on screen right now is Sharon Shara Freedom. And if you are defending 165 and the first bowler that comes out the gate is Shaheen, and then you back it up with Nassim Shah, and then you back it up with Harris Rao, it feels like a very, very viable route to victory. Um, I think that the only issue that, um, I mean, I, I, I tweeted earlier that um, in the Super 12 stage, the uh, uh, Pakistan had five bowlers who are positively uh, have positive bowling impact, which is a crick- a crickly's measure, but for the purposes of this conversation, just means they've been good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more it's more than any other team in the Super Twelves, and the only bowler that Pakistan have fielded who haven't hasn't had a, a positive bowling impact uh, is Mohammed Nawaz. Now, I think that's a a surprise because I, I think Nawaz is a good bowler. Absolutely, yeah. But it's also he's also a, a bowler who you can use in specific circumstances because he offers stuff mm-hmm. with bat as well. If he only bowls two overs and it's a, a double right-handed pair against New Zealand, which you might get, you might get a Phillips and a uh, and a Kane. You might get you might get the opportunity to kind of sneak through those overs there. He still gives you that flexibility. He still offers you value. But the fact that the vast majority, of, but basically the fact that every single seamer that Pakistan have fielded in this tournament have offered a positive bowling impact amazing shows yeah. how yeah it, it, i mean it gets pace is pace yeah it's just classic like it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just obvious pakistani strength and it's it's great but i think what 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 it makes um pakistan into is a very versatile bowling unit because they're not dependent on the opposition 
uh, you know, backhandedness or strengths or weaknesses. You, you can go into it and say, we are going to have four seasons. We're going to have Nassim Harris. We're going to have Shaheed. We're going to have Wazim. And we're going to have these guys go in and we can bowl them in different phases. You know, they're all relatively adaptable. Wazim's obviously probably the, the least adaptable, but that's fine because he offers you the benefit of his batting. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you are always going to be able to turn to someone, even if someone's having a bad day, you'll be able to turn to someone who's going to have a good day because you've got this range of skills. And that's backed up with the fact that Shadab has been uh, very impressive as well over Amazing, a, relatively, yeah. a relatively decent period of time now. Um, Iftikhar is uh, not necessarily a, a top-level spinner, but he does give you that, that left-to-right spin. Um, and Nawaz still, yeah, does offer you the, uh, the, the bit of thing that's been if you do need it, if you make a decision that you need it on the day. But I, I think ultimately what, what we're talking about with Pakistan is that if the, the consistency of their bowling attack or the quality of the bowling attack lends them consistency. You know, I, I, did, a, I did a book with the England analyst Nathan Lehman a couple of years ago um, called Hitting at the Spin, mm-hmm. where, we, where we, in T20 cricket, we kind of dissected the idea that basically as long as you have if you have uh, quality batting and exactly the same quality bowling, your the bowling side will do better than the batting side over a decent period of time. It's more, it's a more reliable route to success to have quality bowling than quality batting, which is why I think Pakistan consistently over deliver in some respects, over deliver in inverted commas um, in white ball tournaments because suddenly. There is a, uh, in high quality, you know, ICC tournaments, there, there is a, a, a significant place on bowling that is not there in, in other formats and in other kinds of white ball cricket. And P- Pakistan, it, it, that sounds, it's basically an analytical uh, uh, approach to what Pakistan have always said, which is basically, yeah, our bowling is amazing. So yeah. <laughs> we're going to find, we'll, we'll find a way to, to be, be successful. But I, I, and I think that, what we what Pakistan need to reflect on after this World Cup, regardless of whether they lose on Wednesday or whether they win the whole damn thing, is trying to, I think, more coherently blend their strength as a player group, which is pace bowling, with the fact that they also are blessed with probably, depending on how you interpret it, the best spin all-rounder in the world. 100%. Whether or not you think when India Hasaranga classified is classified as an all rounder, I probably would just about classify him yeah. as such. So in which case Shadab drops down to being the second best in the world. What a damn shame. Um, but I think Blasphemy. If, yeah, but if you've got the best if you've got all these amazing seasons, an amazing spin all round, there has to be a more uh, a, a wider range of players that you can build into your side mm-hmm. to potentially get closer to the perfect G20 side rather than the conservative approach that they currently have. I'm not saying that means that they're doing anything wrong because I genuinely don't think they are. I think mm-hmm. in terms of winning stuff right now, winning stuff in the next three weeks, or you know, in the next four days, I think they have made the right calls for the last two years. I think, I, I think they've nailed that. But I think that what Pakistan has is there's an opportunity to nail that kind of template for the future and be something more than what they are right now. 
Thank you. Um, and yeah, Asad just told us he had to drop off for yeah, work, yeah. but I'm so glad he came over as the sort of T20 nerd that he is. So I'm glad he did. Um, and yeah, I, I, we don't need to go into it because you've already kind of explained it. But I think in the space, you were also talking about the idea that um, with batting, you have a lot more variance because a batter could, like Sky could butt for one ball or 60 balls or 70 balls. Uh, whereas a pace bowler like, you know, like Rauf and others, you know, they're going to be bowling. Um, they have a guarantee of four overs if they, if you want them to bowl them. So maybe that lends more stability. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll skip that. And just finally, I guess uh, one more thing, just because Ralph's been such insanely good form uh, with the ball. And um, at least to me, it feels like at least since the last T20 World Cup, like the level of consistency of bowling at the death. I mean, he's bowling brilliantly everywhere, you know, in the power play, in the middle. But at the death, to get that level of consistency, which I think most teams are struggling with, with their bowling lineups, um, to have that level of consistency feels to me like Bumrah levels of consistency. I'm not sure what if the numbers play that out or what your impression of that is. I, I can't say that I've looked too closely at the uh, the numbers in terms of a comparison, but I think that's partly because of my presumption that Bumrah is in a league of his own 90% of the time. But I think what Harris has done particularly well so what so obviously so I was the analyst at the Melbourne Stars when Harris joined the joined the Stars oh I did not know that okay yeah I mean I I can't say that I had anything to do with it I'm not going to claim any credit for it but I was there (laughs) I was there when he was then when he joined us and was and was fantastic had his breakthrough season took a hand yeah and was was unbelievable and obviously he's come through that pace program and that's that's very much to to kind of credit for his for his development and I think it's been interesting to see, I, I think he had that initial burst and then he kind of probably fell away a little bit and then came back, I think, a stronger bowler and has come back a stronger bowler because of the way that captains use him, which I think is more skewed towards the death. I think that particularly the way that Pakistan used him in the World Cup last year, where they made sure that they used Shahid early on, they kind of mm-hmm. front-loaded him and back-loaded Harris. I think that was a really, really sensible way of getting the most out of a particularly unique bunch of bowlers. I think that Harris isn't necessarily, um, you know, of Bumrah's level, but I don't think you need to be of Bumrah's level. Yeah. I, I do, I do genuinely think that he's he's off or off on a on level, although he has himself fallen away a little bit of late. I think what what Harris does give you because of his his uh, I, I hesitate to use the word raw because I, I think it somewhat undermines the the skill involved, but like mm-hmm. because of his pace. He gives you an element of versatility purely by just being able to throw him at someone who can't play the hot ball. So if you, so we saw it against India that if you just chuck him in against players who are, yeah, yeah, I'm really good against high pace. I can play 140k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can you play 155k? Suddenly it's a different conversation. And I think that that's what Harris gives Pakistan is an element of, an element of kind of wild card. Uh, unpredictability whilst also being a pretty bankable option at the death I've never been a huge fan of his preference for going to Yorkers at the death but that's because I don't like Yorkers because they go wrong far too often um, but when they go right they go very well and you get a hat-trick for the Melbourne Stars so I'm not going to criticise them too much but I think that what Pakistan have the opportunity to do I, th- I think is because they, because everyone in that side bowls 140k yeah, like you, you can move towards being slightly more varied, and I think going slightly more into the pitch, particularly because the semi-final that we're talking about on Wednesday is is going to be at Sydney. It's mm-hmm. a slightly, it's it's not Adelaide Oval where you've got fifty and sixty meter boundary square. 
it's slightly bigger, not huge, but you've got a bit more versatility. You certainly haven't got the long straights to defend, so you can't go to Yorkers as easily, as straightforwardly, um, which I think that we'll see England's bowlers do against India on on, uh, on Thursday, Adelaide Oval. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's like 80 metre straight boundaries. Um, it's a bit like uh, being at Cardinia Park at Geelong. But I think you've got, it, because of that, I think Harris Ralph has the opportunity to maybe just kind of keep going to his his traditional strengths, but also mm-hmm. just bury it up a little bit. Bur- bury it up a little bit because Jimmy Neesham struggles against the short ball if you go at him and you bring him forward. You know, Glenn Phillips, as much as he's nailed everything that's been bowled at him from 145k plus in this World Cup, he has a long-running weakness against high-paced, short-pitch bowling. You know, Kane Williamson has struggled against essentially everything high pace over the last couple of years there's a mm-hmm. there's a bunch of players in that side Devin Conway aside who are vulnerable to the quickest bowlers in the world and Pakistan are very lucky that they've got an awful lot of, and and I, th- I think 40% of Pakistan's bowling in this World Cup pace bowling I should say has been above 140k per, K per H so wow. you're talking you're talking about I mean and, and that's the most for any side in the World Cup mm-hmm. so you're talking about a side who can maybe go into this game looking at weaknesses in the opposition and saying, right, okay, so we can bounce them, we can bounce them, we can bounce them. And it's Australia. The pitches are amenable to that. I don't know, actually, off the top of my head. I know that Adelaide Oval surface for the semi is a used pitch. I don't know if the Sydney pitch is. But question, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. But if it's a fr- if it's a freshie and you've got the opportunity to use that and use that grass on the surface to just, just get zipping through, then you are probably looking at a battle between two pretty solid pace attacks, but one that Pakistan, a battle that Pakistan would bat themselves mm-hmm. to win and bat themselves to to limit uh, New Zealand's uh, kind of effectiveness with the bat, particularly because the star has been like Phillips, who has, as I say, shown a weakness against that kind of bowling. But I mean, ultimately, mate, I think what's what's been remarkable. Uh, a, it, I, I think Pakistan's World Cup has been made maybe less up and down than people have said. We're still we are still talking about a side that lost narrowly against India, who are probably the, the favourites for the World Cup lost narrowly against Zimbabwe, and then their wins have been pretty relatively emphatic. I think Bangladesh mm-hmm. is pretty closer than the scorecard made it seem. But mm-hmm. you're talking about a side who have been more consistent than many people. I mean, my, my, my colleague, uh, James Norton Brown, who's our, our kind of head of data science, said he could make a relatively coherent argument that Pakistan had been the best side in the Super 12s because of the degree of the, you know, the margin of victory in their defeats and the margin of victory in their wins. And I, I, I don't agree with that. Because I think ultimately, if you lose to Zimbabwe, sorry, mate, you're going to get criticised. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you but could I, make the but, argument. <laughs> but you could make the argument, not me, my uh, my colleague, who's definitely not fictional. Um, but, but I think <laughs> that what what, what, I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm kind of, kind of alluding to, is that ultimately Pakistan haven't had necessarily the roller coaster mm-hmm. that their fans might feel like they've had. Because mm-hmm. guess what? Supporting Pakistan is obviously a very stressful experience. <laughs> But actually, if you zoom out, you look at it in the abstract, this is the side that we've always said is never going to concede over 160, if not concede over 160. Their big strength, their top order batting, hasn't delivered. And yet they are still in the World Cup semi-final, they're still in the hat. So there's more to come from the, the big strengths that haven't delivered and the other big strengths that have delivered. There's no reason why they should drop off. And I'm saying that knowing that they'll probably lose to New Zealand. <laughs> but I just wanted to give you a little note of positivity. No, and I'm trying to pretend that I don't think we're going to win because ever since I gave up, we started winning. So 
I don't, I need to tell myself I don't have belief so that we win. Um, but one final thing, uh, one battle that you haven't mentioned that I've, uh, before the final question, because um, I've taken up so much of your time. Um, you mentioned Glenn Phillips, who's a big, you know, a big danger, Nisham uh, in particular, uh, Conway, somebody that I know a lot of Pakistani fans are nervous about is Finn Allen. So what would be uh, the weaknesses that he has maybe in his game or the, the things that we might, we should be targeting with our bowling attack to get him out? Oh, you'll have to pay me to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so I think, I think Finn doesn't have necessarily that many, uh, that many pronounced weaknesses. I think that his issues are more average based than strike rate. If you look at his, his, uh, his strike rate against full, wide, straight, whatever, he's, extraordinary i think i think he's a he's a player ready to ready to take down the world but i think that what you also have in your favor is that he's a guy who wants to attack who wants to be destructive and i think you're probably more likely to see a uh uh, brennan mccullum running past a uh, mitchell stark delivery but with uh, shaheen and finn stepping in for for those two those two (laughs) roles um, there may be any other any other kind of batter in the tournament i think he's a guy who wants to assert himself on the situation um, and that works both ways because sometimes it means that when he plays against Mitchell Stark, he slams in for two boundaries in the first over of the World Cup and takes New Zealand to victory. But it also means that you do have a chance if you are Shane Jarafridi to pitch the ball up and move that ball. So I think I, th- I think you just stick to what you're actually good at. You don't need to necessarily move away from traditional plans because you know ultimately Shaheen necessarily hasn't necessarily been his best in this World Cup. He's shown glimpses, but he's coming off the back of injuries, coming off the back of, you know, a prolonged period out of T20 cricket. Um, but he is still Shaheen. He still has that template. And I think being a noble bowler is a little bit like being an every batter in that you are trying to assert yourself on the situation. You're trying to mm-hmm. make yourself the story. You're not coming in after eight overs and thinking, right, okay, so with the required rates, this, da, 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 the pitch is doing this. You're going in and being like, right, it's a new Kookaburra ball. I'm going to try and bowl full, swing it and hit the base and middle stump. And if Finn Allen is good enough to respond to that, then fair play. You just kind of have to give him that. And if he's not, then your quid's in and then we can, uh, yeah, we'll see you. See you. You can all start booking your hotels from Melbourne on the Saturday <laughs> night. Well, fingers crossed that does happen. Uh, thank you so much, Ben. Like you've given me like twice as much time as I was asking for. So thank you so much. I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to Dikobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you would like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.